You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bozno Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it is a crisp but sunny afternoon and expecting to get mighty cold tonight. Got the fireplace fired up and, and the house is warm and the cat's happy. I swear if she could crawl into that thing, she probably would. But she she gets as close as she can get. <laughs> Keeping the, the cat and my, my oldest poodle happy with the fireplace. So we have a guest on today's show, and I'm going to just jump right into to Ryan because Ryan's a, a busy guy as a candidate for West Lane County Commissioner. See the hat? Um, and, uh, you know, he had a, a very interesting weekend and and last couple of weeks and I and I want to talk to him about that but first Ryan you know it's been since December when we had you on the show so some people might not have heard you or know about you if you could just take uh you know a few minutes five minutes introduce yourself to the the Bose Nose audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to be crazy and run for this West Lane commissioner seat <laughs> no, no problem. No, no problem. I, uh, I think you might have a uh, little insight as to why I'm running, but uh, yeah, my name is Ryan Seneca. I am running for uh, West Lane County Commissioner District One, and uh, I'm running because some people in the community talked to me and uh, asked if I'd like to run. So I, I really got to thinking about it, uh, talking with. Uh, talking with my wife and some friends that I, that I trust whose opinions I hold in a high regard. And, uh, I decided to go into it. I'm, I'm not your typical politician. I'm, uh, I've always made my living with my hands. I'm, I'm very proud of my blue collar background. Like a lot of our, our rural kids growing up, I started out cleaning stalls and driving tractors and fixing equipment and, got into a diesel repair which led into construction and I got on with uh, Junction City Public Works where uh, where I learned a lot a lot in a short amount of time uh, about government and our budgets and allocating funds and uh, pet projects and and the likes uh, that led to a to a great opportunity to get on with eWeb where I am currently one of the uh, water distribution managers. And uh, it just, I keep heading down this road. I got on the school board and uh, I I enjoy helping my community. Every chance I get, I jump in, I want to help. And that was was one of the biggest reasons why I decided to run. I, I, I wanted to see what I could do for our rural Lane County. I want to be the voice. Uh, we don't we don't necessarily need Eugene making all the decisions for our county. There's a lot of a lot of rural families out there, a lot of businesses that that need a voice and I want to stick up for them be stick up for them and uh, and be that voice. We we sit back and we look around and wonder wonder how we get headed down these directions. Um uh, and and a lot of it is is mismanaging of certain funds and, and not going after some revenue we can. And that's, uh, that's the direction I want to head. I want, I want, I want Lane County to be proud of, of our, of our resources, get back into the AOCC, back into the ONC timber, timber, the federal timber reserve, uh, 
and that that kind of stuff. That's that's why. I mean, that's really where my heart is, and and why I'm so passionate about it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Brian. And and I, and I also just want to mention because I was a lion also that Ryan was at one point the youngest member of the Junction City Lions Club, and anyone in the Junction City area knows all about chicken barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, Junction City Lions Club works hard and raises lots of funds for sight and hearing. Um, so they do a great job out there. So, Brian, you had a really interesting day. I think you were scheduled just to go down to Florence for um, a meet and greet evening at Coffee Roasters down there, which is a great place to get a good cup of coffee. And they've got a little back porch that most people aren't aware of where you can just sit and look out underneath the the Sayuslaw River Bridge kind of and across the dunes and just a really pleasant place to go have a cup of coffee. But uh, on your way down, you kind of got waylaid and and, and had a little um, extra time in, in Mapleton. Can you can you kind of tell that story? Because it, it tells a lot about Ryan and one of the reasons I'm supporting him is, is Ryan solves problems. So, Tell us a little bit about your Mapleton adventures. Yeah, it was well, and and for some weird reason, Jay, I I enjoy these these solutions and the problems. It's it's the sense of accomplishment that I'm always looking for. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I since I've started doing this, I've, I've been building relationships in in Mapleton and Florence and. I mean, if somebody's walking around, I'll, I'll hand them my phone number and, and, and call me, call me about anything. And uh, I was I was slated to be in Florence at six o'clock for for a a friendly meet and greet. I was really looking forward to it. And uh, I was out doing doing my morning chores, and my phone rings, and it's uh, a Mapleton resident, and they say, hey. Our our chlorinator pump broke down last night. Uh, do you have any idea where we could get one? What can we do? We don't have a spare. And uh, anybody that knows Mapleton, and I was knows Mapleton's on a on a shoestring budget. I was I was part of. Uh, some of the team that got the trailers from eWeb, the water trailers, down to uh, down to, to get them some some fresh water. It was one of our one of our troubleshooters' ideas, and uh, we came together as a team. and And that was that was the last major water failure they had. Uh, so I got the phone call, and we got on the we got on the phone, and we ended up finding a spare chlorination pump. And uh, a lot of that is just just knowing people in the community and people that will answer the phone when you call. And so I ran over to this other, this, this other water uh, supplier who was generous enough to, to loan out that pump. And I picked up that pump and we, we, we headed out to Mapleton about, uh, oh, about eight, about eight hours early for my meet and greet. And, uh, so we got out there and I grabbed all the plumbing parts we might need and, and we went and sure enough it was a it was a pump that would work for what they what they wanted. We we went through all the numbers and uh so we got that taken care of. We got them into into building water again and they said, "Well, while you're here, we're, we're having another problem. We the high school is out of water. We we're trying to replace the meter up there. We've got a crew in and and we can't get water to the high school when it's Friday afternoon. Of course, school's in session, so we run out there. And uh, I've I've been doing this I've been doing this water side of it for almost 15 years now, and so I've learned a couple of tricks. And sure enough, we were able to to get that old antiquated meter out of there and get the new one in there and fit in place and. Uh, before before I before I left the the high school was back in water, so we're we're batting two for two now, and I still had some I still had some time to spare, and so I asked the I asked the 
Joe there. He's he's a he's kind of the public works guy from Mapleton, and Eric and Sharon Shrink. If, if they could give me a tour of of what they have going on, just in, in I'll do a little audit, just see what I see and, and look around. And I'll tell you what we we had. They were happy because they were back. They had water. School had water. Everything was looking better, and, and we just had a great couple-hour visit going through their water system, top to bottom, reading the maps, uh, looking at where the the transit lines cross the railroad tracks, where they might have problems if they were if they were going to spend money in upgrades in the near future, kind of hitting on what points might make the most sense uh, from from a water distribution side, and the that that kind of relationship we built was was just was priceless they were they were so happy when i left and uh and i left with a, an hour or so to head down to to bay street there in florence and enjoy a free cup of coffee and just feeling good about it i, I left them happy uh sharon and eric were actually heading out of town so they were able to leave town knowing that Mapleton's water system was, was up and running. And a uh, new pump should be here tomorrow, if not the day after. And uh, they never never even skipped a beat. That, that is just awesome, Ryan. And it just, it's, you know, you know, Ryan is just the commissioner candidate. And because of that, you know, he, he met some people in Mapleton they make a call to him because they they know he has this background working in water systems and you know just by some fortunate circumstances from going from we 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 might have to shut the water system down because our chlorination's not working right to we've got a chlorinator pump that's working and oh and by the way we're having trouble at the high school and it's out of water and ryan's able to get the high school back in water so already solving problems in rural communities <laughs> as a candidate. Well, it's just the, the, the seat problem, get it solved sort of, you know, uh, attitude of yours. And I, I want to let you also talk a little bit about, um, you know, you're on the Junction City School Board, um, and, of course, you've got a couple kids in Junction City Schools, so you have skin in the game. But they have they have a problem out there in that the high school field there is just doesn't have good lighting at all for um, nice <laughs> and the dogs speak. Talking <laughs> 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 uh, about that, but the high school doesn't have you know really good lighting at all, and uh, you kind of took on that problem and came up with some unique solutions. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, situation, you know, what the problem is and, and how you came about with this unique solution and, and what happened and, and how much it cost the uh, the Junction City School District and the taxpayers of Junction City. Well, this, we've got a, we've got a new superintendent down there, Troy Stoops, and I've got to give a lot of credit to him and uh, even Justin Corey, he's helping with the facilities. These are, these guys are, they're, they're hopping in and they're go-getters and, and they know they have people that have their backs uh, and, and have all the, all the right interests. Uh, Junction city has been running off diesel generators and light towers for a couple of years now. And it's really had an impact on the attendance to the games, uh, to all the games, the, the, the soccer, the football. Uh, it, it's because you, you can't, stand around the field in in here and the lighting is terrible and the, the generators are loud and they're stinky and we've been trying to figure out what to do and with a with a fairly fairly aggressive crew i'm on the uh, long-range facility planning committee also so we we're looking into the future what is this school district going to need next how much is it going to cost Let's have that money sitting there so we're ready when these come up. And high school lights were, were first on my list. They were first on uh, another school board member's list. And so Troy went, went out and started looking around for what we could do. And uh, 
we ended up getting we ended up getting some some extra money for the lights all we all that was going to be was just for the lights no installation and installation is very expensive these these light towers now are 10 feet in the ground and 80 feet above the ground so you're talking 95 foot poles and uh it, it's a huge undertaking these these holes are 36 inches around and and i've been when i worked for junction we did a lot of digging around town i know that there's groundwater there's river rock all this stuff that's going to have to be addressed to make this work and we were able to put a crew together out of uh all junction city residents and i, I don't I don't know if they want their names mentioned or not. I didn't, I didn't talk to them before this call, but uh, just what a great bunch of guys. We've got eWeb involved now because I work there. Uh, we have uh, ePUD involved. I'm, I'm good friends with one of the general foremans there. We've got EC Electrical Group. They're, they're donating a crew, and... Uh, their regional manager, I, I know from Junction City, and he's he's heading the whole electrical side of it. And we've got a couple of uh, of, of local uh, operators with equipment that are willing to donate their their machines to to dig out the holes and dump trucks to haul those spoils off. And right now we're at this. We'll have some cost in, in hard parts that, that we just can't get donated, some of the wiring and some of the conduit and stuff, but we're getting it at cost, which is which is huge because there's a lot of markup on that stuff. And uh, we've started a, <laughs> we started a subcommittee of a subcommittee group of guys, and each guy now is assigned with a job. They're in charge of getting their own crews and – everybody's excited and this thing is going to come together for this football season and uh the the excitement in junction city because these lights are going to be amazing uh our old lights were were just that they were old and they were they were starting to they were starting to shock people when it rained so they figured it was a good time to turn them off and this this new system is is going to be very impressive state of the art and uh and it'll be put together by by residents and and that's that's really cool and you you talk to these people and they don't i mean they don't even want recognition they just want they just want to help and and these are it's the way our rural communities work we don't we don't have all the money but we have a lot of smart people with a lot of means of of getting things done and it's just a matter of putting all the pieces in place so everybody's everybody's really excited for that and uh i i can't wait to to keep keep this project coming the uh the lights and all the equipment are showing up we don't we don't exactly have an eta yet here in the next couple weeks and uh ended up we were all sitting around well we've got to figure out a way to unload all this stuff even because i mean the school doesn't have anything they don't have forklifts they have no so well, we know a guy with a construction lift, and sure enough, call him up, and I'd love to come help. So he's going to bring his his construction lift truck down and unload everything and put it where it needs to go. And it's just uh, it's all coming together, and and we're really excited, really excited. Uh, that's an amazing story. It's like a Junction City School District version of a barn raising. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's that's what used to happen, you know, in, in rural communities, and still does. You know, if if something needs to get done, you call your neighbors and stuff, and and some of them are really good carpenters, and some of them are just you know labor help, and and you know some of them might have skill in, in masonry or whatever. And by the time you get all your neighbors together and they bring their equipment and their tools. Um, you know, if you can supply the, the, the basic materials, you could put a barn up. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, it is. And it, it's really, it's really encouraging because working here at eWeb, I, like I said, I work on the water side, but one of the guys I know that's on the electric side, he's, 
he's taking that whole side and, and, and off and running. He's getting the, the boom trucks and the crane truck and all the, all the fun equipment that I don't get to work with on my side, but he does. And, uh, it's just, it's building those relationships too and, and putting the right people in place that, that want to help. I, I think that makes a big difference. And we all sit around it. It's a, we, we, we meet either at the district office or, or somewhere for, for dinner while we're talking about the plans. And it just, it just falls in place. Each person grabs, grabs a, a project, grabs a piece of it and says, okay, well, I'll, I'll handle this. And I, I think I've got some guys that I can bring over to do that. These guys are good at that stuff. And a couple of phone calls and yep, they're in. Let's, let's keep forging ahead. And you know how these projects go being with your engineering background we we've got about four different plans <laughs> put in place. We've got A, B, C, and D because no, nothing ever goes according to the plan. But when you got that many backup plans, I think I think we're going to make something work, and it's, it's going to be great. Yeah, as soon as you start digging in the ground, <laughs> you know, it's an unknown condition, and you just never know what what's going to change. So yeah, having backup plans is always good. And I've, yeah, my engineering career as a civil engineer, it's involved a lot of digging in the ground. So, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Well, that's... work maps and things like that. Yeah, I, I've had to make some major changes to projects on the fly. So, well, I, I appreciate those two great stories, Ryan. Um, I know you've got another obligation this evening, so I don't want to keep you too long. But I just wanted to give you a chance tell those two stories because you were telling me, you know, I came up to your campaign kickoff on Saturday and you were telling me about the Mapleton uh, thing that happened the day before. And I was, you, you people have to hear this story. <laughs> and then, you know, and the Junction City, I knew about the Junction City life story already. So it's just like, this is no coincidence that these kind of things happen around Ryan, you know, cause it's, it's the sort of person he is that solution focused. So before you go, Ryan, give yeah. yourself the, the plug here, uh, website, phone number, people can get a hold of you, email, anything else you want to tell people, any upcoming events. We've got, we've got numerous upcoming events. Um, if you get, if you get on our website, I may not, the, the calendar, <laughs> you know, the calendar's filling up, it's full. Uh, but the website, the website has all the upcoming events and it's, it's real simple. Ryan Seniga, R-Y-A-N-C-E-N-I-G-A dot com. Uh, everything, everything you, you could need to know is on, is on that website. Uh, my email is Ryan at Ryan dot com. Email me anything. And, uh, I've been giving out my phone number like crazy. Anybody that wants it. Uh, my, my personal cell phone is five, four, one, Two two eight four 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 six, and we are looking as, as as busy as we are. We're we're always looking for for meet and greets. If somebody has a has a leads group or or some sort of together, and would like a, a guest speaker, or would like to know more about some of some of my some of the direction I would like to head. That was just a a quick little why I'm running. Uh, if you if you're if you're interested in in getting into that a little deeper, either give me a call or or help set up a, a meeting. I'm I'm speaking all the time. I'm getting better and better at it, Jay. I'm not a I'm not a career polished politician like you are these days, but I'm 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 going everywhere I'm asked to go. So that's it's it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and you know I was not a polished politician. I was you know. And en engineers generally don't switch from engineering to being a politician because we're kind of known as being introverts. So I, I had to get comfortable speaking in front of people too. And, and um, you know, after 12 years, you might be as comfortable as I am at, at now, but um, you sh certainly the difference between my, my first run and today are, are a big difference. And it's kind of because I've gotten so comfortable and so polished as a politician, I think it's time for me to retire. 
because we need <laughs> people like Ryan that are real people that aren't polished politicians that are solution oriented in our county government and uh, and some you know, young energetic go getter um, and I I just really hope folks will get out there and support Ryan and get him to the finish line here. Uh, RyanSeneca.com. Uh, Ryan at RyanSeneca.com is the email. And uh, thank you for coming on today, Ryan. Uh, go out and, and conquer and have a good time at, at your dinner event that you have tonight. <laughs> I will. Yeah, we're, we're, we're heading that way. And uh, just before I, before I take off here, I want to, I want to say thanks for you coming out Saturday, Jay. That meant a lot. It meant a lot to uh, to the group that they were there. It, it uh, yeah, having having Jay Bozovich there really really sealed the deal on on on, on we're going for it. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you showing up. That was fun. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being willing to run because I do know two things. One, it's taking away a lot of time from your family and friends because I went through it too. And two, I know that if you win this election, you're actually, like I did, going to take a pay cut probably. So um, it, it, that's, that's the true definition of a public servant. You know, somebody that's willing to sacrifice their time and even their financial well-being to serve their community. And um, you fit both those definitions. So, Ryan, I, I just want to say thank you for your commitment and your willingness to to do this because i know it's not an easy thing to do well i appreciate it and we're uh we're holding our heads high and and we're, we're enjoying the we're enjoying the race so i thanks again and uh you have a great rest of your show all right thank you ryan and thank you for coming on you have a great evening all right you too see you guys So that was Ryan Seneca, um, who's running for my seat on the Lane County Commission, and he's actually somebody I I, I was one of those people that asked him to run. <laughs> um, and uh, public information officer from the county. Hopefully, it's not something of earth-shaking importance. Uh, hopefully, she'll leave me a message. Uh, so. Um, Switching gears now, uh, I want to talk about a whole bunch of other things, but I want to remind folks um, that we are a call-in show, um, and it's uh, 646-721-9887, and, um, you know, we, we like folks to call in because it's your opportunity to speak to, you know, an elected official you know, if you have an issue in Lane County or just any question about government in general, because having been a commissioner for 12 years, I've learned an awful lot about state government and even some of the federal government. Um, so you can give me a call, talk about that, or bring an issue up that, that, you know, we don't have scheduled, you know, that we're not talking about, something you want to talk about. Again, it's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the Bo's Nose show. But, you know, um, I want to move to some other topics. Uh, and I'm going to start out with COVID a little bit because indirectly COVID's been in the news lately. <laughs> and people may not see this connection. But um, we uh, had a uh, little bit of a minor snowstorm in uh, Lane County here. Uh, um, not, you know, not so much Lane County and the mountains, but it was anywhere all over Oregon. Just a little dusting that we had um, as that cold front moved in Sunday night. Well, we had like a hundred car pileup on I-84 in the state of Oregon. And I think one of the connections people aren't seeing to how we reacted to COVID 
is ODOT lost a bunch of snowplow drivers. And they lost them because these drivers refused to um, do the mandate, you know, mandated vaccination that was being required of them. And as we've come to find out, you know, vaccination is not a perfect um, shield to the virus. You can still get and transmit the virus. One of the things it does do is it lessens the severity of, of the virus if you do get it. Uh, so there, there is some protections there, but you know, the mandate was all about, well, you're gonna spread the virus if you don't get the vaccine. That was what people were being told. And we have to mandate it because you could kill somebody if you keep coming to work unvaccinated. Um, so some of these guys that drive the trucks, because truck drivers are pretty much in demand right now. One only has to look at the, the you know, the classified ads, help wanted or whatever online. You know, CDLA jobs, $10,000 signing bonus, you know, all over the place, all over the country. Threw this mandate on, a lot of snowplow drivers quit, and we end up with a 100-car pileup on I-84. And a very, not a very big snow event. Have to wonder if there's a little connection there. But... You know, what we're seeing right now, those, those COVID number case counts are falling still. We're, we're getting close to the pre-Omicron surge numbers, post-Delta Valley. Um, not too far away from that right now here in Lane County and across the country. Um, but while all this is going on, we've got the legislature in session. And they've got a bill that's made it through the Senate and is over on the House side now called Senate Bill 1529, which on its face, I support what they're doing because part of most of that bill deals with protecting volunteers who helped out during the, the pandemic from workman's comp claims. You know, if one of those folks that, volunteered at a drive-up clinic, you know, got hit by a distracted driver who was, you know, busy, you know, playing on his phone while waiting in the line and, and kind of wasn't paying attention and bumped into somebody and hurt him, that the state would, cut, would, would cover the workman's comp claim. You know, it's basically what it's trying to do is, is, is have these volunteer health providers workman's comp coverage. Great concept, you know, so, you know, there's no disincentive to volunteering uh, for these folks. Unfortunately, they include just a couple sentences changing some definitions at the beginning of the bill. And what it does is it grants an unelected bureaucrat the governor's power to declare an emergency. In the state statutes right now and under our constitution, the only person that can declare an emergency in the state of Oregon is the governor of Oregon and the secretary of state or state treasurer if it's determined that she can't be reached at the time. And even then, as soon as the governor is available, they, she has to confirm that declaration. Governor's power as the chief executive of this state to declare emergencies. The governor's elected and responsible and accountable to the people. If she declares a state of emergency that wasn't warranted and uses those emergency powers for something that she shouldn't have, she has to answer the people. She can even be recalled. The director of the Oregon Health Authority is not answerable to the people. And that couple little pieces at the beginning of that bill that changed the definitions of, of who can declare a public health emergency and allows the OHA director to be able to declare a public health emergency is a slippery slope that we've continued to go down of granting 
powers that are should be held at elected office level to unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. Just like the bill I talked about last week that would give the power to an unelected appointed board the ability to release criminals early from prison, this one's going to grant an unelected bureaucrat that's appointed by the governor the ability to declare an emergency without the governor's consent. Maybe if that part of the bill gets removed, I might be happy with it. But the other part about it is, like so many other bills that are in this session, almost everyone's got an emergency clause on it. And I'm not sure, you know, why every bill seems to have an emergency clause. The bill that is going to hand the Elliott State Forest over to the Oregon State University and make it off limits, the timber harvest basically, even though it's supposed to be being harvested for the benefit of the common school fund. So we're taking away the ability to fund our schools and giving a forest over to a, as a quote, research facility, which is basically how can we get this, uh, you know, basically made a a wilderness without actually doing so because we can't really do that. Um, They're using this kind of end around of quote, a research forest. They put an emergency clause on that bill. Now, what the heck does that bill need an emergency clause for? It can't wait the time period after the governor's signature to become law. That 90 days. Uh, And I see Robin just dying to jump in about this emergency clause issue. I was just wondering if you can go ahead and Uh, explain what an emergency clause is to people that don't know. Ah, yes. So what an emergency clause says, and typically, you know, almost any elected body has the ability to declare an emergency as part of passing law. And one of the reasons you do that is sometimes you might have passed an earlier law that had an error in the wording and is causing a really bad problem. And you might put an emergency clause on the correction to it so it's effective immediately. Most law in this state requires the ability, you know, a delay, an effective date, because it gives the voters a chance to collect signatures and refer that vote to the ballot, that law to the ballot. And it applies to anything that the legislature passes that's going to become part of an Oregon revised statute. After the governor signs it, it's not effective. And I can't remember if it's 90 or 180 days. I can't remember the time period um, off the top of my head. I know what it is for county ordinance. But it basically delays the effect to provide that time period for citizens that don't like the fact that that bill was passed and signed by the governor to collect signatures to refer it to the ballot for a vote of the entire state. An emergency clause waives that waiting period and says it will be effective upon signature of the governor immediately. And, you know, the thing, it, it was there for a purpose, you know, where you just, something needs to be changed immediately. It can't wait that time period. Thus, the term emergency clause. (laughs) Because it says, and declaring an emergency, so this law will be effective upon signature of the governor. My question is, what is the emergency that's tied to changing the definition of who can declare an emergency (laughs) to an unelected bureaucrat And what is the emergency with giving over the Elliott State Forest to the Oregon State University? What what is that transfer of that forest to the university require waiting, you know, not being able to wait the 90 days? The only reason is they know it's not popular, which means they're going against the will of the people. So they're trying to thwart the will of the people 
these are the same people that are always talking about democracy and voters' rights and everything else and how everybody's evil because they're trying to suppress democracy. They're purposely putting emergency clauses on bills because they know they're not popular. And people would collect signatures, would put them on the ballot, and they'd probably get overturned. It's what happened to the driver's license bill a while back, which they went right back and repassed the bill and put an emergency clause on it so you couldn't refer it. But at least that's elected officials doing that stuff so we can hold them responsible, hopefully, at the ballot box. Be thinking about that as some of these folks are running for re-election this coming uh, season, and maybe we might want to think about how many of those that are currently in the majority in the legislature that's constantly putting emergency clauses on non-emergency bills only because they know they're doing something unpopular, how many of those legislators deserve to be reelected? They need to explain why they voted yes on a bill with an emergency clause. I've actually voted no on something I supported at the county because somebody stuck an emergency clause on, on something I, I didn't support. It is a rare thing I will support placing an emergency clause on a county ordinance because I truly believe that is an abused system and we need to stay away from it. So this is all kind of sort of COVID related, but you know, Lack of snowplow drivers, hmm, vaccine mandates could have something to do with it. Um, trying to get unelected bureaucrats be able to declare health, public health emergencies because of disease outbreaks. Can you say trying to cover, you know, you know, have a, an unelected official maybe, you know, have the ability to extend mask mandates and whatever else and, and give cover to the governor? So we really need to uh, seriously think about emergency clauses. We seriously need to think about how COVID policies have caused adverse effects that might actually be more harmful than anything they might have produced in public positive impact. I mean, how many other safety issues have been compromised by people quitting their critical public safety jobs? And I don't restrict public safety to just law enforcement in this definition. I'm talking about those folks that, that you know, maintain your water systems, the folks that keep your roads clear, uh, you know, safe drinking water, get rid of your sewage so that, and, and trash so it doesn't you know, cause other disease outbreaks. <laughs> a lot of those folks working in those jobs weren't real happy about having vaccine mandates. And, you know, the great leaving that we're having around this country where people are retiring, hmm, uh, uh, it has it, partly been stimulated by the implementation of some of the mandates at, in workplaces. If you're close to retirement age or you're in a job that's highly desired right now by the private sector, you know, some of these policies are going to have people go, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to move on to somewhere else. And next thing you know, I-84 is not plowed well and we have 100-car pilots. And I see Robin's smiling face again. You, you need to jump in here. First, turn on my microphone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, add a little bit more to the truckers, uh, the drivers thing is that the as as of this year, February seventh, the FMCSA, which is the Federal Motor Motor Carrier Safety Administration, now made it a little bit harder to get your CDL or to even upgrade your classification. Uh, like I say, if you want to add uh, passenger endorsement onto your CDL. You now have to go through a certified school to get uh, to get your license. Where before you just had to have Uncle Joe show you how to drive the thing. You go take the written test and the skills test, and then you got your CDL. 
as of February 7th, that's not the case anymore. Hmm. And we wonder why there's a shortage of truck drivers. Yeah. And you can bet the pay is going to go up, too. Um, yeah. People like myself who have a valid class A. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is similar to what I described about the child care system. You know, there's this shortage of child care providers right now in our country. It's been the government intervention in the private sector that's created the shortages. And now we're seeing the same thing happen with truck drivers. You know, as we create a bottleneck for new truck drivers coming into the system, we've also had government intervention that's causing truck drivers to leave the system. And lo and behold, now there's a trucking shortage and a logistics problem, thus the empty shelves and things like that in grocery stores. Uh, and the fact that it takes a year to get a new refrigerator. Um, you know, it's just, it's, and and the thing is, is the people that create those problems don't see that, and they just think it will, that more government will fix the problem they created with government. We have to be aware of the unintended consequences of what sounds like good and helpful policy. All these licensing requirements we put on everything from people that that do nails to haircutting to, um, you know, getting a CDL and, and all that, the workforce smaller and the supply of that particular skill smaller and drives up the price of everything. And, you know, and it prevents people that might have gotten employed and made a decent living from getting into that because they can't overcome the barrier of getting licensed or meet the the criteria of the bureaucracy to stay licensed. Um, And it's just no one, no one just understands how much of a drag rules, regulations, and the bureaucracy has on our economy and the ability of people to be successful. And, you know, I I was at home alone because Elizabeth was away this weekend and was watching some movies and stuff that I knew she didn't want to watch. I just happened across the film 1984. And, you know, it's an older version of, of, of the book 1984 which everybody should be mandatory reading. But it just, there's a portion of the book where Richard Burton kind of admits that the government, there is really no war going on, but there's a state of constant war that they keep telling society so they can keep the people in poverty. Because while people are in poverty, they're willing to, 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 allow the government to do the things they're doing. Like I think there's a big part in the in it where they increase the chocolate um, ration, weekly chocolate ration, and, and that's a big news to the citizenship, you know. Like the, the government was rationing your chocolate in the first place? <laughs> yeah. And you accepted that because you were, quote, at war. You know, Oceania is at war with Eurasia in, in, in 1984. Um, and it was just kind of a scary thing to be watching that and thinking about how, you know, the bureaucracy is constantly working towards making us all poor. And and we have this elite class, you know, that's running the show. And they keep pushing the middle class down into the poor. And eventually, you know, and there's always going to be some crisis. And the current crisis right now that we're all trying to solve that they're using to make us poorer is climate change. So it just uh, the comparisons between some of what goes on, you know, now with government and 1984, George Orwell was was a prophet, <laughs> prescient. The guy is scary. <laughs> 
when you were um, talking about licensing, it kind of uh, hit a nerve because, as you know, I used to own my own VCR repair shop. And for me, Oregon changed the rules, but for me to repair your VCR back then, I had to get a television license with a VCR endorsement. And to get that, it was a two-year program. And my business was doing very well, but I couldn't get any help because of the licensing requirement. Well, and you know, just if you if you do much more when you're, you know, operating as a, an employee of your, you know, you currently do a little bit of, of systems work at, around your your current employer. But if you start actually wiring some of the systems, like the alarm stuff, you start treading into low voltage electrician licensing requirements. <laughs> And other stuff, you know, it's just, it's insane. You know, I, I have enough knowledge. I could probably wire safely, you know, but I, you know, if I did that, oh my God, I'd be in such trouble. Well, in some respects, I can understand, you know, like electrical, but especially low voltage, but give you the opportunity to challenge the test instead of having to go through a journeyman uh, program studied, you know, electrical engineering to some degree. I sort of understand electricity and electrical components. You know, you think I might be able to not have to go through the whole journeyman stuff to, to <laughs> understand <laughs> grounds and amperages and voltages and you know, <clears throat> arc, you know. Art flash danger and all the things that involved in electricity. You know, I've I've, I've done all, a lot of that training because I had to have the safety training to be around 480 volt electric equipment. You know, in our pump stations. You know, it's just yeah. I, I, but I would have to go through, even though I've got a degree in engineering and a professional engineer stamp. That's now, you know, it not I don't I haven't kept it up, but I, I had one. But you know, all that doesn't qualify for anything. I'd have to start from from the ground zero if I did ever wanted to get an electrical contractor's license. Yeah, the only way around is that you have to show that you worked under a licensed contractor and then <clears throat> for a certain period of time and then you can challenge the test. Yeah. Well it's you know similar with engineering. You you can either go to a four year college work four years under a licensed engineer before you can take the professional engineering exam, or you can work eight years under a professional engineer and then sit for the exam. If you've taken that's you have to take another exam uh, four years ahead of it. It's called the engineer and training exam. So it's really a series of two exams to become a professional engineer, but you have to have that work under a licensed engineer to qualify to take the test to be an engineer. You can't just test out. Yeah, like I say, some some regulations make sense, and some are just, you know, like having to have an LME just to run speaker wire. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it just it surprises me sometimes just how often we we use government to suppress our economy. Although, when you really think about it, in the end game of some of these people that want, quote, revolution and to install these uh, socialist Marxist sort of systems, uh, centralized government and everything, making everybody poor is part of their goal. They don't come right out and say it, but they don't really care that their policies make people poor and hurt the poor, make the poor upset. You know, all these things that are causing energy to increase in prices, like that electrical vehicle charging station construction fee being added to your electric bill, um, they know that actually impacts poor people more than rich people. And it's the rich people that drive the electric vehicles. But they don't care because they want there to be strife. And they want to force people out of the middle class is their enemy. The, the reason America has constantly rejected socialism and Marxism 
is we have a strong middle class. And the middle class doesn't want that. But it's, if they can ever eliminate the middle class just to have a, an elite rich ruling class and a lower class, i.e. 1984, then they'll be successful. And that's a lot of the policies from the, the radical left are working towards trying to establish that sort of society in America. Destabilization policies, such as defund the police. And then they have their pseudo organizations that are out there calling for the defunding of the police and all cops are bastards and everything else. We've talked, we've talked about that before on the Bose Nose Show, but it just amazes me how much this all fits together. And watching 1984 was like, just clarifies some of it. Yeah, speaking of taxes, uh, it reminded me that there's two new taxes in Portland area. One's called the uh, Preschool All-Income Tax. Another one is Portland Metro Supported Houses Housing Services Income Tax. Say that three times fast. Um, In addition to like the $35 per head arts tax, if you make over $1,000 a year, and all those little tiny taxes, which comes out of your payroll. Well, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, taxation has consequences. I I had to go by Walmart on West 11th today to pick up my wife's prescriptions because we no longer have a pharmacy in Veneta. Why? The corporate activities tax. You know, know, this desire for more government programs to solve problems government caused is creating this desire for additional taxation. And that ends up having us, you know, lose other things, you know, suppressing the economy and, and causing people to lose jobs. Uh, losing services and the ability to get services in rural areas because we've driven the the cost of that service, you know, to be unprofitable. Well, I never even got talked about Ukraine today or the trucker convoys. <laughs> but we're pretty close to out of time. Um, and I just wanted to, to spend a minute again and thank Ryan Senega for coming on the show. And, uh, and, you know, just remind folks that uh, they can look uh, Ryan up online. Uh, RyanSenega.com is his website, R-Y-A-N-C-E-N-I-G-A um, is the way you spell his name. And if you don't know, you can just, you know, go to the promo of the show. It's spelled correctly there. Um, and, uh you know, look him up and, and think about, you know, is this the kind of person you want representing rural West Lane County? Because most of West Lane District is rural or small communities like Benita and Junction City, uh, Florence. Um, you know, and do you want somebody that is just a practical problem solver like Ryan and looking to solve problems in a way that saves the taxpayers money? Good old barn raising style solutions. I just, I, that's just probably the, you know, as he was describing that whole thing about how they're going to get the, the, the lights, these 90 foot poles installed to put the new lights up at the Junction City High School field. All I could think was, man, this sounds just like a barn raising. <laughs> and it's probably the best description for it. So um, I just urge folks Take a look at Ryan. I, I think he's got a great thing going. And, uh, you know, we'll probably have him back a couple times before the May election um, here. And, you know, uh, maybe we'll even talk with some of the other candidates um, before then. So we'll be back next week. And, you know, I'll have had a board meeting between now and then because we've been off for a couple weeks. You know, that's kind of the, the you know, Board of Commissioners, we we take recesses because things like President's Day means we get to take a day off on a Tuesday. I don't know why that is, um, because we were off the Monday just ahead of it. And last week was the National Association of Counties um, conference in Washington, D.C. So uh, 
you know, that's sort of a legitimate excuse, but, you know, two weeks off in a row, that's kind of a long break to not have your elected officials meeting. So, but of course that also means you're safer <laughs> in some ways, particularly if it's the Oregon legislature, but we'll be back next week after that meeting. And I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week.